Hi everyone, it's Brian. Get ready for a compelling insight into the entertainment industry with the versatile and talented Paul McCrane. Paul is not only an Emmy-winning actor, but also an acclaimed singer-songwriter, director, and writer. Paul's colorful career is a testament to his remarkable talent and adaptability. Cutting his teeth in the industry from a young age, his storied career paints a vivid picture of tenacity, passion, and the pursuit of one's craft. Find the keys to a meaningful career in this conversation with an actor who truly knows the business. Now, before you listen, you've got to grab our backstage pass because it is packed with Paul's top tips, insider advice, and additional resources that will give you a competitive edge. You can grab the backstage pass by going to podcastbackstagepass.com. Well, Paul, thank you so much for being on our podcast. Thank you I, I'm excited to have you because you wear many hats in this crazy industry we're in. You're an actor, you're a, you're a writer, songwriter, you are a director, and you have an Emmy and a Grammy nomination. Yes. So let's start from the beginning. How did you, and what made you want to enter this crazy world? Uh, my father was a, um, well, he would like to have made an, uh, he's living as an actor, but he was, he oh. acted in local theater in Philadelphia and okay. around there. So that's how I first even got exposed to the idea that you could do that for a living. Wow. You know, he was really supportive. So I was aware of it from when I was really little. When I was a teenager, um, I actually got into acting through music. Um, a guitar teacher of mine at the time, whose name was Russ Faith, and he did some work in the business. Uh, he had some publishing success. Anyway, he thought I had the potential to possibly make a living as a musician, and I actually said I was more interested in acting. So he connected me with a manager at that time, and I started auditioning actually before I started studying, which wow. was sort of, you know, at that point, the, the number, the competition for people who could play 14 to 16 year olds uh, was slim yeah, yeah, compared yeah. to a few years later. So I, I started early and that benefited me uh-huh. with whatever talent I had. I actually moved to New York when I was 17. I started working. I got some, some auditions. I got some some parts. I started working professionally at 15 okay. and moved to New York when I was 17. And I think I was 18 when I started studying with Uta Hagen. Started, started herself. With her, yeah, herself at HB. Yeah, she was fabulous. And studied with her for five years and stayed in touch with her through the rest of her life. Wow. Um, but, uh, you know, I would work, I'd come back, I'd study, I'd go, well, uh-huh. you know, that kind of thing. Uh-huh. She encouraged that as opposed to some teachers, which I also respect, who say, no, 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 study for a couple of years and then work. And that was it. Uh, that's, that's that's sort of wow. how I started. So you, so would you consider yourself having, like, you, you were a child actor and then that's kind yeah, of... A teen actor. Yeah, teen actor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your dad, because he was in the theater scene, was supportive? Like, they weren't like... Yeah, hey, no, they weren't against it at all. No, they were very, very supportive. And then, so you've, your, you know, your adult acting career started in New York. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I actually never thought I'd live in Los Angeles, oddly. I've been here for, good Lord, 25 or 30 years. But um, I moved to New York when I was 17, and I thought I'd live there the rest of my life. And you were more of a theater person. Very much so. You wanted to do Broadway and plays. Yes, very much so. And what was like? What was that like? Like pounding the pavement, you know, in your twenties and in New York. And- no, like I mean, look, I got really lucky because you know I was a kid. I was eighteen when Fame, I think it was eighteen when it came out, or eighteen when we did it. I don't remember. So I got a again the the competition for people who can play that age is a lot slimmer than a few years later. But anyway, so I had a lot of advantages, but. I also was serious about wanting to work in the theater and, and stayed in New York primarily to do that and work in regional theater and, and around uh, uh, the country a bit. And it was like, uh, 
Yeah, it's probably like it is today, except without the internet, which right. I don't know if anybody can imagine. But it was, you know, <laughs> at that time, we didn't even have, there was a, Jesus, I'm the old guy. Nobody had even answering machines when I started. Oh, really? It was called answering services, which was a phone number you'd give out, and it was uh, manned or womaned uh, 24-7 by someone who would answer the phone and leave messages in your cubbyhole, and you would call in multiple times a day. Say, Any messages for me? Any of that kind of thing. I've never heard of this. Yeah, you didn't even know that. I didn't even know that existed. existed. Yeah, that's before answering machines, oh. long before you were born. Okay. Yes. <laughs> and answering machines came then, cell beepers and cell phones. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Anyway. Wow, okay. So yeah, yeah. So what what was the f the first project where you were like? I've made it. Like I've I've made it as an actor. Like. I haven't felt that yet. <laughs> really? Even though you have like an Emmy and okay. not really. I mean, look. Studying with Uta Hagen was what made me feel like I'm serious. Like I'm, um, this is my life. This is what I'm going to do. Uh huh. Uh huh. Um, because it gave me a perspective on uh, the reality that the work is really about always just trying to learn more, do better, stretch yourself more, grow more. There's no making it. Uh, the, the the reality of making it in this business, it's I don't want to be too. It's 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 fallacious. I mean, you know, obviously there are people who get who a certain there are there are A-list people who get established, and some of whom have amazing talents mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff, and that's great. And they're they're they've made it in that sense. Most of the rest of us have periods when we're more visible or less periods where we're hitting more and less. It's sort of, in my experience, comes in waves. And it's just important to know that that's the likelihood for most of us. Right. Um, and really making it is really just, I certainly know that at this point I have a place of uh, some level of respect in this business. And some visibility, although I've been directing for the last 20 years primarily, so that's less, I'm less visible that way. I honestly think that it really comes down to, are you dedicated to, have you decided that this is your life? And if it is, then you've made it. That's it. I mean, now you're concerned about success. That's all financial success. That's a whole different story. Uh -huh, and that's uh -huh. an awful lot out of our control. Right, right, right. So uh, how long were you in New York? Not to be too philosophical. Sorry. No, no, this is great. <laughs> I thought that was a really powerful statement because a lot of our listeners are actors, are members of the studio. And I think it's important for them to know. It's like, hey, even someone like you, you on paper, you have an Emmy, you have all these, like, all yeah. these things that in their mind, like, oh, he must think he's made it. But even for you, you're saying it comes in waves. And but even when I got the Emmy, I was very honored. It was pretty nice. Yeah. But the truth is, was that 2011? So 2011, yeah. yeah. 51. If I was 25 and six feet tall with a full head of hair and a really good-looking guy, <laughs> that Emmy might have meant something. Not that it didn't. It was very flattering. It was very flattering. But in terms of career, it was just it was a nice thing. It wasn't like it. It didn't and, like blow you up. No, uh -huh. no, no. It doesn't work like that. Okay. It didn't give you more leverage to like get a little more money on the next project. Yeah, a little bit for a little while, uh -huh. but, you know. So it was more like a for your. It's an honor. Yeah, it's an honor. Absolutely, it was an honor. It's right. Very nice. Yeah, but it wasn't like a. <laughs> it didn't. It didn't. It didn't springboard me into something. You know? That's so. That, that that's so good for you know people listening to. You know, yeah, I don't want to disappoint anyone. Yeah. It's very nice, and you know, but it, but it wasn't. Uh, you know. Because I think a lot of actors, especially the ones who are trying to like you know enter and like you know into things, maybe their first few bookings and stuff. There's a there's a thinking there's a way of thinking that I just need that one booking or I just need that one award or I just well, need that one. Well, that's true. Look, obviously, there's if you 
if you make a Broadway debut and you get rave reviews and everybody, you know, uh, you get a ton of attention, of course that that can send your career. Yeah. Of course, of course, of course. There are things like that that have happened. I've gotten attention doing things, and, and that's boosted, you know, of course. But it's in waves. But it's in waves, yeah. It's, and there's, there's a great deal. I mean, the way I think of it is, I mean, we really are like professional gamblers. There's, there's an enormous amount that has to do with commercial success that is just not in our control. For some people, probably it's more in their control than I think of it. I don't do social media at all. I chose not to. I always thought of it as something that felt a little bit potentially dangerous, and I think that's been borne out. Right. Certainly but, has. Yeah, but I mean, I understand. I'm, I'm an outlier. A lot of my friends, some of whom are a lot more successful than me, are very um, clear about that they feel like it is a useful thing to do to promote projects that you're in or those kinds of things. I think that's completely legitimate. I think that's right. There's no question about it. How do I get on the social media? You're talking about commercial success. And oh, yeah. Things are out. So, so, and some of that stuff, I don't think, I'm not sure. I think it's likely that somebody who has an enormous social media following, if two people competing for a job and one has that and the other person has no following at all, it could, if it's literally neck and neck, it could sway people one way or another, depending on the kind of job or that kind of thing. So my whole point about all that is there are absolutely ways that people can work on achieving success business-wise in terms of being smart about connections and networking and all those kinds of things, of course. But the reality is, from well, the way I've tried to approach it, most of us, I think, all you can, can there's so much that's out of your control. Mm -hmm. I mean, think of it for one minute in your life. You're a lot younger than I am. How many actors that you know were like for five years incredibly successful in film or television? And 10 years after that, you don't, you, oh yeah, remember that person who was? Right, right. That's the much more common career. And these are good actors. I mean, solid people. I'm not, you know, there are there are a handful of people who have sustained solid, highly successful careers. The Sean Penns or the Meryl Streep's or the Denzel Washington's or the, you know, you name it. Most actors have really lucky periods of success and then periods where they're not as successful. Now, a lot of those folks they go and do theater so they're not as visibly successful for the rest of the world, right. which I support. I think it's great. I did that for a long time. I'd like to do it again. But in terms of commercial success, there's a lot of under control. So all that we can control is our skills. And so I've always emphasized, try to emphasize for myself, and I, when I teach, I talk about this, is all you can emphasize is, so, is what, what your skills level is so that when you have an opportunity, you have an audition, I can think you can take as full advantage of it as you can. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right, right, The right. skill level is as high as it can be. But as a director, I know also, I'm yakking away here, but as a director, I can't tell you how often people who come and audition for me, there's a lot of really good actors out there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Very often, there's either something about some, you know, it factor or whatever about someone that just says, yeah, that person's really interesting with them. But more often than not, Someone's instincts are already sending them in a direction that is in line with my thinking as a director. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that these other actors couldn't get there or bring something interesting to it that's similar or that kind of thing. But if you come in and, and four other people are really good, but you know a little off and I adjust them a little and some get it, some don't, whatever. But you come in and you're right down the middle of the, the idea I was thinking of or enhance that idea. Uh-huh. 
I have a very limited amount of time on set, especially in television. I'm going to hire you if I can. Right, right. Because you're already going where I think we need to go. That's a little less work for me on the day. I'm not afraid to do the work, uh-huh. but I'm looking for somebody who's, who's got the goods, who's already in the same kind of thing. Then, and this is the thing that bothers me a great deal about our current submitting uh, self-tapes. Then I want to find, I, I like to audition people because I want to find out, do we speak the same language? If I give you a direction, does it send you off this way or that way? Or is what you did repeatable? Or was it just a happy accident? Or do we speak the same language? How can I adjust to your language? You know, it's a, it's a whole other... Yeah. So, <laughs> so you're not a fan of the self-tapes. You, you want the in-person... Like, Absolutely. Sessions. I don't like self-tapes at all. And how have you been able to adjust to that, obviously, with, you know, the last three years? Like- uh, not at all. I, again, I, I don't like them, but as an actor and a director, I do them as well, and I use them as well. If sometimes what I'll try and do as a director is, if I have a question about someone, at this point, I feel like I can kind of identify, I've been fooled a couple of times, but I can identify if someone's in the ballpark of what we were just uh-huh. talking about, sort of got the skills for what I need. But once in a while, I'll ask either, can we do a live Zoom session, make some adjustments, can, or can I just make some adjustments, give, talk to them on the phone, have them submit another thing, that kind of thing. Sometimes I'll do that. Personally, I've been trying to champion them. I feel like I'm a lone voice out there, but live Zoom uh, sessions, if, if I'm in Atlanta right. doing something... Set up a session in LA where I, you know, we, you know, talk to people. And, I mean, we, we're doing this right now. Why can't we do that for relations? Right. You know, I heard some kind of a story where, like, the director, you know, chose an actor based off of self tape, and then the actor like showed up on set, and they're like, there was like something physically like way off that in a self tape they couldn't see, and they were just like, this is not gonna work. Yeah, <laughs> and, like, you know, that kind of thing can happen. Or more common thing is what I said. You know, I've had situations where someone came in. And it turned out it was a happy accident. They couldn't do it again. Or, it, it, you know, the audition hit something that they didn't have control over. And now we're trying to make that work. And I thought, and the, the actor feels awful also because they can feel if it's not working well. Right, right. No one's happy. That's yeah. not good. Yeah. Hey, it's Brian. I'm dropping in on an important announcement. What you need to know is you have more control over your career than you think. The thing standing between you and the career you want is your connections. And that's where one-on-one next level comes in. If you are not a member yet, you can apply to join at oneononenextlevel.com. Press pause and do that now. If you are already a member and you are ready to get back on track, we want to invite you to book a strategy session with us led by myself personally. We will help you prioritize which classes make the most sense given your career goals. You can find these under the resource hub in your account portal. We can't wait to hear your success story. Speaking of, you know, the audition process, you know, because you you're, you, know, you have both you know, perspectives, both as someone who auditions and as someone who's behind behind the scenes. I'm so curious, like what, in your opinion, like once they book the role, right? I'm bringing this up because you were actually like a, you're an example of this as an actor, but there's always stories of like directors who say, and we've had them on the podcast, like Norman Buckley and, you know, Mary Belli, who say, uh, you know, they, there's some actors who they have a small part, they book a small part and then they show up on set and you just, you love them. And then, you know, either, you know, they do that part and they're great. And then they're just on your list of actors sure. you always want to have back. Or they're so great that the writers also love them, producers love them, and they write bigger and bigger parts. Yeah. And I bring that up, not to, to get your input as a director, but also as an actor, because for, at least from my notes, that's how ER happened. For yeah. You. I Look, at that time, ER was, as a lot of shows still do, I think, they'll, they'll, they'll put out a breakdown for a role and say, 
this is a possible recurring. You know, that means they want to try it out and see, and it's not a lie, but it means possible, not probable, not definite. And yeah, they're trying something out, throwing it up, see how it sticks. And that is what happened for me on ER. I auditioned for one episode. Clearly they had in mind that if something worked out, they wanted this character to go on, but I didn't know anything. So I auditioned for one, and they brought me back a couple of times as a guest. And the second year, it was the same kind of thing. We just had an arrangement, but it was no contract. It was a show-by-show hiring. And then after two years of that, they uh, invited me to become a cast regular for a while. So I did that. Uh, I mean, I had the experience, but... Right. Uh, but now, as a director, do yeah. you, are there, like... Are there times when there's actors that, you know, you're just like, hey, I just wish we could bring them, tell the producer, I wish we could bring them back. Or maybe you have like a list of actors that are, that are just your favorites that you always request, you know. I do. I, well, I, no, I mean, not always. I, I keep more of a mental one, but I actually need to, I want to keep more uh, an actual one. And, and I've done this, sure. If there are actors that I've worked with who, if I, if there's a remote part, for them, they will come to mind because they're terrific or I really enjoyed working with them or that kind of thing. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And that does happen. I mean, it's it, not all the time, but it happens with some regularity. You see a character break out. Michael Fox wasn't supposed to be the star of that show. Mm-hmm. So Family Ties was supposed yeah. to be Meredith Baxter's show, but, you know, Michael Fox broke out. Characters do that all the time. Yeah. And what is it, like, on, like when, when, you, when you're working with an actor on set, like, what, is there, can you tell that they just have something that you like more? Is it more professionalism that they're easy to direct or is it? I just- wish it was that. I wish it was that. You know, <laughs> um, I mean, it's great when that happens, but there's no, again, you're, there's, there's a certain, that's, that's part of the professional gambler aspect of it. When I did the character in ER, it just clicked for me. It was a character that during the show, during the time I was on, it got a lot of attention relative to the amount of screen time the character had. Uh-huh. And that was a, very, very happy accident combination of what the writers came up with and how they liked what I did and then bounced off of that back and forth. And, and there's there's a whole lot of serendipity to that. There's not a way to prepare for that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. any more than to just be, again, continue to work on your skills as much as you can and stretch yourself as much as you can so you can have the greatest chance of you know hitting a home run right. when, when you get up to bat, yeah, but there's no way really to prepare for that. That's just an, a, an actor sort of fitting a role, and uh, I'm not just I'm not talking about myself in that. But when that kind of thing happens, it just seems to fix, yeah, for, for whatever reason, yeah. yeah. And are there things because so many of our listeners are actors, yeah, anything that actors do on set that you're just like, oh, that's not that just doesn't, yeah, that doesn't work, and sure. that you see over and over again, yeah, sure, on time, okay. Sure. If you're late, I mean, actually, my personal thing, I'm not always this way in my personal life, sadly, but, you know, I was thinking about this today. If you're not early, you're late. Mm. Don't make anybody worry where you are. Be professional. Be kind. Be courteous to the people that you're working with, to the people working around you. Remember that you're a part of the process. You're not, it's not about you, and it's not about the actors, really. It is, of course. It's an enormously important part. When you go to work, be a good colleague. Be respectful of the people that you're there with. Um, come up, come, show up ready for work. Show up, you know, knowing what you're doing and uh, to the best of your ability. Come prepared. Know that it's not going to go the way you expect, and uh, be ready. Right. That's not. I mean, hey, that, that was like a chapter in a book. <laughs> it's a pretty comprehensive list. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's really hard, especially when you're coming in as a guest on something, because you don't really know what you know what. I, 
says <laughs> people. Sometimes I think I confuse the pleasure I have watching films and television with, and think that I should have that pleasure when I'm making films and television. It's not the same thing. Hmm. Um, Can you elaborate on that? <laughs> sure. You watch a movie or watch a TV show. You love it. You feel like you want to be a part of it. You get on set, and it's nothing like the experience of watching it. Mm. It's, you know, you're right. you're the mechanic putting it together with these people. Yeah, it's less sexy than oh, much, much. So, but you know, yeah. I mean, you know, just just come come to work as collegial as you can be. The 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 problems that I've seen with actors if they're I have a personal peeve about this. Don't be late. Don't be late. It costs an enormous amount of money. Here here's what it really is. As a director, the only people I really give a shit about is the audience. I want to give the audience something worth spending their time watching. In my opinion, time is the precious commodity in life. So I want to honor the audience's time by doing my best anyway to give them something worth spending a half hour, an hour of their lives watching it in television. The only way I can do that under the, the restrictions of television, we're talking about television particularly now, which is very, very fast way of working. It's a very fast way of working. Is to be as prepared as I can be and as efficient as I can be. And it's taken me a long time as a director to develop that. I was not always as efficient as I hope I am most of the time. Mm-hmm. It's hard to develop that, but I've worked at it. So when actors are the last person on set waiting to rehearse or they take a lot of time getting out of their dressing room or that kind of thing. The reason why it makes me angry is it's disrespectful to the other, to the rest of the hundred people plus that are on that stage that day in terms of their time and the fact that everybody, there are people who are going to work 16 hour days today that that actor is not going to have to work. People, crew members who are here before and after they leave. Right. So it's disrespectful just to the people around you, but also what it means to me as a director is, okay, now I have less time. I can't do another take uh, responsibly if I'm going to try and be a responsible steward of the budget as well. I can't do an extra take. I can't take a little extra time to do a more interesting shot. I can't do an extra take for your performance mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or for that other actor's performance. Right. Because if I really feel like I can get something that might be really enhance that moment, yeah. but you know, I'm running out of time, I can't do that. So now you've Damaged work. Now I'm pissed off. <laughs> yeah. Do not be late. Don't be late. Yeah. Be on top. Be early. And that's such a great way to explain why, right? Mm-hmm. It, just, if it's not, it affects everyone else's yeah. work and it affects the the, the, the I really learned product. that as a director when I was even on ER, you know, and I'm talking about also when the ADs say, okay, they're ready for you, jump out of the dressing room. Don't be, okay, let me just use the, let me just do, I mean, if you can avoid it, being ready to go because ER, by the way, was a great experience and a fantastically professional cast. And Uh these are, I mean, everybody should be lucky enough to have an experience like that. And one of the things, even on that show, I I realized is that, you know, it was a huge cast, 11, 12, 13 at one point, maybe more. And if each one of those people took Five minutes a day extra to get out of there, trailer to get to set, or that kind of thing. You just we just added an hour right. to the shooting day. Right, right. That's a lot of money. It's a lot of money, and it's also a lot of time. And it's just it's really it is a lot of money, but it's also shooting a television series is a marathon. And again, respect the crew. They're here working longer hours than almost any actor. Respect the other actors. They're also trying to work and be ready. So yeah, be it be on be prompt, be on time. Be as ready as you can be, 
you're going to have days, things don't go well or whatever, things happen. But make it a rule. The biggest one is it shows so much respect. And also, I'll say one other thing. Everybody on set is scared. Mm. Everyone. Okay. And the AD staff, the production staff, have a particular kind of anxiety because it's their responsibility, along with the director, of course, to get through the day. It's everybody's responsibility to do their job as efficiently as you can to get through the day. If you show up and you wander around or you wander the bathroom without letting someone know, or you go to decide to take a stroll on the lot, <laughs> or you disappear from set and people don't know where you are, you make everybody more nervous. Mm. If you show up and you're on time and you let the ADs know where you're going to be, if you're going to wander off set for a minute and you come to set early and do all that kind of stuff, it calms everybody else down and you will be surprised how much you will feel how favored you are mm. by the rest of the company because they feel respected by you and they will treat you with respect. Right. If you're the actor who is constantly late, never comes out of their dressing room, you know, bolts off the set the second uh, the shot is cut, or whatever, you will feel people pretending to be nice to you, mm. but you will feel the contempt that's underneath that. And that will make your day worse. Right. right. Great advice. <laughs> Back to your journey. Yeah, sure. So, because you thought you would never leave New York. How, how did you move to L.A.? Why? <laughs> oh, boy. I was in New York, and I guess I was getting, good Lord. Yeah, it was around 30. And um, Were you married by then? No, no, no. I got married late. I got married when I was 40, late 30s. Anyway, I came out, I was coming, uh, I was in New York, and I was doing a play. And, you know, the life of an actor is very up and down, very, some great years, some yeah, really years. yeah, exactly. Financially as well as work was. I had years where I worked like crazy and really good things and made not a dime. And other years where, you know, I got a commercial gig of some kind, a TV thing or a movie or whatever, made a lot of money and, and you know, but didn't work much other things or whatever. Anyway, I was in New York and I was doing a play and it was starting to get a little old for me being so unpredictable. And I think I, at a certain point, I, I kind of thought... I'm not sure if I agree with this now, but I honestly, at the time, I think I thought, well, I could do this weekly written play for $200 a week that t literally 10 people a night are coming to see, mm -hmm. or I could do this a weekly written television thing and make a whole lot more money. And I thought, well, I also had, I was involved with some of the people who wanted to come out and was going to go to a graduate program at USC. Okay. So I came out not thinking I was going to stay, but coming out to spend some time and trying to make some money. The simpler thing is just saying, because I did, all through the time I lived in New York, I'd come to LA for some period of time, either with work or to find work. Okay. If I was lucky, I got some, then I'd go back to New York and support my theater. So I came out to, to uh, work, got a little work on something, and then that fell apart. I was getting ready back to New York and I met the woman who is now my wife. She lived here, her whole family's here, all this stuff. Uh -huh. So when we got married, uh, you know, I mean, we, uh, while we were together, I got in the R, so that was a gig that kept me here. But I literally was in the process of making plans to move back to New York uh, uh -huh. when we met. And so it's her fault. <laughs> <laughs> Have you met in a yoga class? We, we did. We did some research. We did, I tell you. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. I was invited to a yoga class that uh, a woman friend of mine invited me to. I think she said later because she was thinking about trying to set me up with um, the, the teacher of the class. It turned out that it was the, the, this group of women, including my friend, 
were going out for coffee after the class to celebrate uh, someone's birthday. So it was me at a table with, I think, six women. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So, you know, the odds were pretty good. Right. Um, <laughs> and that's where I met my wife. That's a great story. <laughs> hey, folks, Brian here. Mark and I often cringe when people call one-on-one Next Level a workshop studio because we are so much more than that. You and I both know that not all workshop studios are the same, and I can tell you with complete confidence that no other studio offers the same level of care or programming that we do, and we do so with pride. Here's just a few examples. I'm Emily, and before one-on-one Next Level, I was in a super dark place in my career. I tried a lot of things to find representation, but nothing seemed to work, and I felt invisible. Then, almost as a Hail Mary, I signed up for a manager session. It was incredible, but it was also the thing to land me a manager. Since then, I booked a national commercial, I've gone on to create a thriving voiceover career, and signed with an agent, all through these classes and programs. One-on-one Next Level has been the single most important thing that's influenced my acting career and life in so many ways. I'm Neil. In the last year, I booked two co-stars and one top-of-show guest star on major TV series. I also shot my first lead in a feature film. In fact, I've hit 20 big milestones thanks to the connections that I've made in classes at one-on-one Next Level. The key has been getting in front of casting directors, and that's why I love one-on-one Next Level. If you're not a member yet, what are you waiting for? Every actor deserves face time with the people in the business who can move your career forward. And one-on-one Next Level can help you do that. Did you know one-on-one Next Level produces over 335 events and classes each month? Whether you join us in person or attend on Zoom, you can meet with A-list casting directors, filmmakers, TV showrunners, and executive producers, as well as agents and managers when you become a member. These days, it's harder and harder to get real face time with industry pros, but one-on-one Next Level makes it possible. To become a member, visit www.oneononenextlevel.com and click join. We can't wait to hear your success story. Okay, now you're you're in LA, you're married, you have ER. Kind of tell me about how your you know career continues with that. Because <laughs> ER, ER, like you, you found out that, you know, about the end, like, didn't have much notice. No, no, not at all. So, yeah, so I was doing ER and occasionally doing a little other work, but mostly just doing that. And I had actually started directing on that show first. Oh. Had directing been something you, you, you were curious about or was it just something that came up? I always thought I would eventually direct theater because, like many actors, I thought I knew better than the director <laughs> most of the time. Um, and I'm sure I was wrong most of the time. But I always thought I'd direct theater, and I didn't particularly think I had a much visual sense, honestly. So much of filmmaking was mysterious to me. I didn't quite get it. While I was doing ER, I got more and more curious. And, uh, uh, in part, out of boredom, I'd be on set and just start wondering about what, what else was going on. Or like, I'd be in the first and last scenes of the day. So I'd have a whole day and I'd just hang around the set and start watching and trying to learn. And the directors who were on the show were very generous, as most directors are in terms of if you ask them questions or you want to talk about the work or what they're doing, that kind of thing. So I started thinking about that and I took a, a workshop by a great teacher who doesn't, he's not in LA anymore, named Jim Pasternak, who did uh, some directing workshops. I think a lot of actors did them, as I remember. Anyway, I planned to make a short film and I had all the meetings. I spent a, pretty much a whole year watching a lot of directors on set. And then uh, 
asking about it. And I was told at the end of one season that the next season they were going to give me a, a shot. I still made my short film anyway because I didn't want my first day in the chair to be on what was then the number one show in Delaware. Right. <laughs> that, that must have been uh, no, yeah. a lot of pressure. <laughs> yeah, a lot of pressure. Honestly, ethically, I wanted to make some mistakes on my own dime. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Also, besides trying to be more prepared, I, I and the pressure, I also I, I thought it was responsible for me to do that. And it was. I learned a hell of a lot making this short. And anyway, in the fall, I directed an episode, and it didn't go. Uh, I didn't. I didn't screw it up too badly, so they let me do another one. Yeah. Uh, I didn't screw that one up too badly, so they they continued to hire me. And John Wells. Uh, offered me an episode of a show they had on at the time called Third Watch, which I did as well. And then I got some other things open up directing-wise. But uh-huh. in the middle of all that, can't remember if it was that, if it was the year after I started directing. Within the first year of directing, yeah, I, I was going back to work and I got a, uh, a call that John and uh, Chris Chulak and, uh, wanted to talk with me. And occasionally that would happen if they want to talk about the character or that kind of thing. I went in and they let me know that uh, we're coming to the end of the character, as they said. And uh, I was uh, surprised and disappointed. But, you know, as I said to them in the room, you know, they, they, they were very gracious and apologized about the timing and stuff. And I said, um, you know, that they didn't owe me an apology. I came on to do a guest that became a recurring, that became a cast regular, that started my directing career. Yeah. So I have nothing but gratitude. Yeah. That's, that's, that's amazing that yeah. like you're not, obviously was a great acting opportunity, but yeah. also started your directing career. Yeah. And I continued directing with the exception of one or two years. I, I continued to direct uh, every year, an episode or two on that show for the rest of the term. And you've, I think, in total directed over 40, 40 TV episodes at least, right? I've directed over 100 episodes. Over 100 maybe episodes. Four different, I don't know if it's different okay. shows. but uh-huh. yeah. So you obviously have a really successful directing career and acting career. And it seems like it's because you're, you're, I mean, you're still acting. You're mm-hmm. doing something. Well, let me, yeah. uh, you're on uh, HBO's Barry. Yeah, I just did a thing on that. Yeah. So how, how did you navigate that? Because someone from the outside would be like, that's a little conflicting, like he's directing and he's acting. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, look, for the first 10 years that I directed, I prioritized getting directing work. Okay. And if acting work Why? came, well, because I wanted to develop as a director. I was serious about it and and wanted to pursue that more than acting at that time because I found that a lot of the roles, which is, again, a common thing in television particularly, a lot of the roles that were give, either I was being offered or being asked to read for were very similar kinds of characters. People get typecast. It's not uncommon. Right. Um, I'm character actors. So that's going to happen. And it felt a little limiting creatively. And so directing felt like it was this whole new discipline that I was just learning, beginning to learn, and I wanted to do more and more of it. And I had the idea at the time that I thought, I hoped I would develop as a director. I mean, it was a great opportunity to get paid to develop as a director, hopefully develop as a director, and then do my own projects, which is something I'm now starting to try and do. Mm. I thought I'd do it during that time, but having a family and directing were too consuming to try and do all of that at the same time. My kids are older now. Anyway, I don't know how I got... Oh, so so primarily I pursued directing and would take acting work when I could Uh as it fit in. Because again, at that point, streamers cable was much more primitive at the time, Uh still in its infancy. So it was pretty much the network model, which meant in the late spring, early summer, 
shows that were picked up by the networks would then hire directors for their schedule. Mm -hmm. So it would be what I call booking season, which was sort of like, you know, May, June, maybe into July, where I could book, at a certain point, could book up a whole season Mm -hmm. of anywhere from four to six or seven episodes, which would kind of box me out of a lot of acting work, honestly. So I did that primarily for years. After about 10, a little more than 10 years, I missed acting and I started trying to look for work again as Uh an actor more actively. But of course, the memory of this business is very, very short. Right. So if you walk away for if you walk away for a year, it's a lifetime. People think, where where have you been? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, was it difficult for you to re-enter? You know, the acting. Yeah, in certain ways. Although, like you know, that's around the time when Harry's Law happened, which I just think David's a spectacular writer and really interesting guy. And anyway, the show, I think, you know, I, I was sorry that it didn't succeed more. I knew. Um, Oh, Lord. Kathy Bates and I actually lived in the same building in New York for many years. So we knew each other socially a little bit. She's uh, fabulous, of course. So that was great fun. And that came up about 10 years in to my directing career. So that helped a little bit. And I did a couple other things, did a nice little bit on 24 and and a couple other things. But mostly then I I was continuing to direct. Mm. And it's only in the last couple of years now that I'm starting to act a little bit more. So. I know you said it was like, you know, mostly it's an honor and, you know, like the Emmy was, you know, but what did it feel like to, you know, get the nomination and then actually, you know, get it? Like, it was it? <laughs> I mean, it was, I don't know how to say it. it was really flattering, you know? Yeah, it was really flattering. I didn't for a second think that I would win uh, uh-huh. that year. And I suppose, I'm trying to remember, Michael Fox was nominated as well and, and in the category and, Oh, a number of great actors, um, Bo Bridges and, and uh, oh, this other actor's name. I'm forgetting. I'm so sorry. He's so good. Anyway, so, you know. Uh, I enjoyed the, the dressing up and then going to like more like a luncheon or a dinner. Yeah, there's or a something. lot of that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, look, it's nice. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, very, it's, it's very, very nice. It's a very nice thing. So my question is, do you think being a director and having really directed so many episodes has helped you as an actor? And has helped you in the audition game and and all and you know being on set and yeah I mean being on set certainly after directing for a while acting I think the first time I noticed it I was on twenty four after I'd been directing for a while and I did a, this little stint on twenty four and <laughs> it was really good to remind myself that uh, things I've been started expecting from actors that are not so easy to do so yes they inform each other very much so uh-huh. very very much. So in terms of just, you know, both also having a certain kind of awareness, situational awareness, the things I was talking about, yeah. self-awareness, yeah. being a good colleague, all that kind of stuff, yeah. and preparation. But, you know, acting acting in television in particular, uh, when you're auditioning for things, especially now, most of the time, the, the actors don't even get the full script. Mm. And, you know, the way I came up and the whole way I approach things is what's the story What's the thrust of the story? How do each of the characters fit into telling that story? What's the function of this character then? And then how do I try and bring that to life? So without all that, there's a lot an actor doesn't know to go on. Now, the reality is if it's a series and you've been able to see some of it or know if it's familiar, you can get some sense of what the story world is and probably how the characters are fit in. But the reality is you don't get a sense of that. I find all that insane making. But the bottom line is I think one must approach auditions, this is something that got reinforced when I started directing. What I've said, what I like to say is that an actor needs to walk into a room for an audition like the auditioners have just walked into their theater. I have to own what I'm doing. 
when I'm when I'm doing my best. That's the way mm-hmm. I do it. And I have to give them permission to respond however they will, just like you would any audience. Right. They can love it. They can hate it. Right. They can do whatever they want. What that does is it puts the onus on me to be as prepared as I can be. I need to have made, in the short amount of time I probably had, as much in-depth decisions as I can, or as many in-depth decisions as I can, about who the character is and what the character is going for and what this is about and what the objectives are, so that I have made very, very, very specific choices as much as I can, even not knowing what the rest of the story is. I have to fill some of that stuff in, because that's then my, if I'm going in, if you're coming to see in my theater, I better be ready to deliver to the best of my ability under the circumstances. I just think that's the only way one can audition without feeling utterly at the mercy of and feeling disempowered by, what do they want? Do I, how, how do I do this? Now you're just watching yourself the whole time and yeah. judging yourself about, if, am I giving them what they want uh-huh. when you have no idea what they want, actually? And you have to also know you may or may not get it. That's just the nature of it. So there's a certain, the thing I try to encourage and remind myself of all the time is owning your work, owning your process. The, the, Uta Hagen did teach me that. One of the many things she taught me when I started to realize that the kinds of things she talked about, there was never, you were never done. You were never finished. You have goals and ideals that you're working toward, but they're always open-ended. You can always get more and more specific. You can always come to learn new, more and more nuance. It's one of the reasons why I also haven't had the opportunity to do it in a long time, but I like a long run in the theater. I love it. As some actors get bored and they hate it, but I like finding finer and finer sort of aspects of the character. Sometimes there are improvements that need to be taken out, but um, <laughs> there's an opportunity to develop finer and finer work in the theater that way. I just think we have to I always liked when I realized, you know, doctors, lawyers, people talked about their practice, their practice. What we do is a practice, like a martial art. Every time we do it, it's, it's an opportunity, whether it is an audition, whether it is helping someone else to work on a scene, whether you're in class, whether you're auditioning for a commercial, a play, a film, whatever. It's another opportunity to exercise your craft and your skills. Having that perspective, my work extends behind me a great deal and hopefully in front of me a long distance. It's not just this individual thing. So that if I go into an audition with that kind of approach, and if actors I think can, it can help mediate or mitigate the understandable stresses that people feel that make them feel like they're on a tightrope when they walk into an audition room. Mm -hmm. You have to accept that you you might not get, you probably won't get it. Probably. So go do your work. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's that's profound, and that's why we love having you teach for us. <laughs> and by the way, what's what's that been like, like being in the class? Because you know you've worn so many hats, and you studied with the great Uta Hagen, and then being in a class with like sixteen actors, whether you know online or in person, at you know here, is it kind of like full circle for you, or a little bit? I mean, I did a little bit of coaching before doing these things at times in my life and, and a little bit. But yeah, I like it a great deal because I actually really love acting and I love acting and, and I think that I, I'm doing I've thought a lot about it, so I hope I have something to offer. Yep, absolutely. Um, it's been, yeah, it's really it's gratifying to do it. Yeah, good. Yeah, I like, you know, seeing people. This podcast really is for our studio's 30th anniversary, which was last year. Congratulations. So Thank you. And it's, uh, yeah, it hasn't always been easy. We have a, a saying here where there's a will, there's a way. And we've certainly had to take a lot of like risks and chances against all the odds. And people are like, 
that's never going to work. You can't, you know, have both LA and New York. I didn't realize it was this long. Good for you. Yeah. Well, really like, not a- you can't do Atlanta. You know, there's a lot. So I'm sure in your career with so many different hats, you know, and a lot of success in, in each one, you've also uh, had to, you know, kind of go against the odds sometimes. Sometimes, yeah. So I'm just curious, is there like one particular instance where you really had to take a chance and take a risk, even though everyone around you was like, no, you know, don't do it that way. Sure. And it paid off. So when I was a younger actor in my 20s, after the movie Fame, I basically was brought in for every sort of vulnerable, fragile, or gay, if it was a story point, character that I could possibly have been brought in for. They're not all the same, mm-hmm. uh, to say that. But <laughs> the character was very sensitive. And, and, and so, so it was a lot about that. And at a certain point, I just got tired of feeling typecast. Now, let me, let me qualify that. This business is so insane that if anybody remembers you in anything, that's a compliment. So typecasting is not an insult. It is a compliment. Someone remembered something you did well. But it can feel constricting and limiting at a certain point. So I told my reps at the time I wanted to play bad guys. And they thought I was out of my effing mind. And I just started turning down auditions for the, the fragile character or the, the sort of the sensitive character, <laughs> that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, yes and no. They thought my career was over, mm-hmm. basically. So ER was very largely a breakout in that way for me because I'm sure the only reason I got that audition was because of the fact that I had said, I, I'm, I'm really, I don't want to go up for this type of character anymore, at least not right now. Wow. Um, and so that was about a year into that, maybe a little more, not a little more than that. They were okay with it, but they were not enthused, right. my reps. Right. But eventually, it obviously, paid off. Paid off in, in both that, directly yeah. and acting. Yeah. And then I get typecast as the bad guy. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Until you do it all over and you flip it on the other guy. Yeah. Until I get some other role, that yeah. changes again. Well, Paul, thank you so much. This was my incredible pleasure. like talking to you. And you know, it's such a, I think, inspiration. And I think our listeners will learn so much from, from your journey. I hope so. I hope I just wasn't just blathering on. No, no. not at all. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't done it yet, grab the Backstage Pass because there's behind the scenes footage, we've taken the biggest takeaways from the episode and written them down for you, and there's also tools and resources to help move your career forward. It's the easiest way to turn this podcast into a tool for your career as opposed to something you just listen to as you're doing the dishes.